0: You are now listening to The Conversationalist Podcast. Well, hello, and thanks for listening to another episode of The Conversationalist Podcast. This is episode 12. I am Jesse, and I'm here with Amanda. Hi. And we are actually driving on the northbound I-5, headed back from Los Angeles, where... Um, last minute, um, Amanda got a notification, um, through her email on Friday evening, um, indicating that we had got to, uh, like, tickets to, um, a taping of the Talking Dead for Fear of the Walking Dead, so, um, that was pretty cool, you know, we scrambled together to make it happen, and Um, made it out there. So, I mean, I guess this episode is mainly going to focus on our experience to our first taping of The Talking Dead. Um, We've been trying to get into The Talking Dead for a while now.
1: Long time.
0: And we'd always put in for it. um, Obviously trying to get into The Talking Dead after... The Walking Dead, um, it just so happened that when she told me that, oh, hey, we got, you know, this, these tickets to, um, go to a recording of The Talking Dead, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, (laughs) I was like, cool, sweet, and I'm like, you know, I was like, I mean, we'd always tried to, to get, um, like, you know, the, the tickets for, the Talking Dead after Walking Dead. And, you know, we ended up getting it for Fear of the Walking Dead. So, it worked out. It's pretty cool. I mean, it was a surprise to us because whenever we've tried to get tickets in the past... Um, it we always, never it, get
1: them. Right.
0: We, we never get <laughs> them. They're always all gone. Or, it seems like they're trying to push like a different show um, for you to uh, go to a taping of before you get the opportunity to see, um, a, uh, Talking Dead taping. Um, we've, we've gotten tickets to the, like for recordings of other shows, but something's always come up where we're like, oh crap, we can't make it. So we have to You know, basically give up our seats, but we give up well enough in advance that it doesn't, you know, ding us. Um, Because if you're not familiar, when you try to get into tapings or anything of that sort, whether it's with, like, Talking Dead or any other place, you know, they basically keep a record of who's trying to get tickets, and um, in this case, it's, like, one iota that, um, you know, that does the ticket screening process for all of the tickets for, like, the Talking Dead, for instance. So, um You know, if you put in for these tickets And then they notify you Like, okay, hey, look, this is the date that you got You know, this is what you need to do And then for whatever reason you don't show up Well, then that's like a ding against your account And pretty much it's going to show you have, like, poor attendance or whatever And you're pretty much going to get, like, passed up For, like, every opportunity to, like, do anything else So, like, you pretty much, like, screwed yourself You're going to be, like, the last person on the list
1: Time to get a new account. Right.
0: Better make a new account because you're going to bone yourself. So, you know, if you do get tickets, if whatever reason you're not able to make it, um, you know, if you give them up within a certain amount of time, um, you know, then you're pretty much good because you've given people an opportunity. You know, you've given them the opportunity to give your tickets to somebody else, and so, you know, they're not left with empty seats at the end of the day. Um, We've gone to uh, tapings of other shows um, this was our first time here. This was a CBS studio, right?
1: Yeah.
0: So this is our first time at the CBS studio. Um, we've been to the one at Universal, and um, we've been to the one for uh, TBS uh, as well. So um, I mean, they're they're different, yes, because they're different studios, obviously. But their operation is pretty much the same. Um, yeah. I mean, there's not like a huge difference from one or the other, from what we noticed. Um,
1: Clap when you're told to, laugh when you're supposed to, stand in lines.
0: Yeah. The end. Stand in lines, line rides, and all that kind of stuff. But um, you know, as far as our experience goes, um, you know, we were supposed to be there by four o'clock. They recommend that you show up in half an hour early to check in. We wanted to show up even earlier than that because we wanted to make sure that we had the opportunity to get there early enough. So that we we're gonna get, you know, close enough, you know, to the front row as possible. And because um, there's tickets where like most of these tickets, these tickets that you get are general admission, and what these people do at the studio is say they might have like 50 seats that are available, you know, for a live studio audience like the Talking Dead. But the thing is, is they might give out like 65 tickets, 70 tickets, and they're doing that because they know that there's gonna be a good chance that people aren't gonna show up they're not gonna say that they're not able to show up and so they want to make sure that those seats are filled every single one of them so you know obviously the earlier you show up as a general admission person the more likely you are one to get in and two that you're actually going to get good seats so that's what we want to make sure we did unfortunately we showed up early enough to where um they weren't even admitting people on the lot yet because they offer free parking which is cool Um, but the security guards basically like, Oh, we can't let you on till three. We were like 25 minutes early. So we basically had to park across the street and wait for them to let us on. Um, two people managed to scoot in, you know, back into the parking lot, like three minutes prior to, um, three o'clock and were able to get in front of us, which was kind of lame because technically we were like the third and fourth people there. There were already two people that were in line technically we were the third and fourth people there but because these people scooted into the line faster than we could get across the street um we ended up being like nine and ten so um you know in the end it all worked out uh it was kind of lame because like even once we got you know our car our car parked um at three o'clock they don't actually come out to get to you until right at about four so even though we had our car parked at three o'clock they basically tell you okay Go out to the sidewalk and form a line. You know, so there we are. Me and Amanda with a shitload of other people lined up out... Not even on the grounds of CBS Studios. We're on the, we're on the public sidewalk outside the gates of CBS Studio lined up in a line. And, um, you know, I think there was, like, supposed to be, like, you know, 50 seats. I think it ended up being, like, right at 50, right? Like, nobody... I Nobody was turned away. Everybody that showed up got seating. Um, so, I mean, that ended up being a plus. Obviously, nobody got turned away. You know, they act, they kind of warn you when you get your tickets that there's a possibility that, you know, if you show up late or, like, everybody actually shows up, that there's a chance that some people might get turned away, but that didn't happen. Um, so once I think it's right around 4 o'clock, the security people come up, people from One Iota, or whatever, you know, they basically, you know, walk us, onto the, walk us onto the grounds, and once they walk us onto the grounds, or once they're allowing us onto the grounds, um, you know, they're checking our IDs to make sure we are who we say we are, um, you know, making sure our IDs aren't faking shit, like, I've never seen somebody, like, really look at an ID that hard. Um, yeah, he
1: was really inspecting it.
0: Yeah, like, making sure that all the bumps were on the, like, right portions of the driver's license and stuff, I mean, it, it it was pretty thorough, like it was almost kind of comical, but I mean, safety first, you know, I got to make sure that somebody didn't make fake IDs so they can get onto the grounds to do bad stuff to the actors or whatever, like bomb CBS, like I have no idea. But you know, thorough, so you know, kind of like two points for being impressed on that. So they check our IDs and then, um, you know, they give us bands so that you know they, they know that they've checked us, you know, they, they kind of everybody over to another covered section where there's some benches. Finally, and then yeah, we actually get to sit
1: and a bathroom.
0: Yeah, and bathrooms. Yay. So we get there, and then um, once you know we have our bands indicating that we've gone through the security check for the IDs. Um, there's that's where they take everybody's cell phones because cell phones aren't permitted beyond that point. There were obviously a lot of people that didn't read the rules um, that were posted. Um, you know, for the people that got tickets, uh, Amanda read through them pretty thoroughly, so we had a good idea of what to do and what not to do. Well, Obviously, we left ours
1: in the car. No one's taking my phone.
0: Exactly. I mean, I have an iPhone six. You know, she's my phone's got,
1: not as nice, not at all.
0: She still has a nice phone. So, anyways, <laughs> we didn't want our, we didn't want to give our phones to like somebody to like you know basically to lose or do whatever with. So you know, our thought was is okay. Well, if they're not allowed, you know. At some point, they're gonna to want to try to confiscate them or whatever. And obviously, you know you're, pl- you're at their house playing by their rules. You know, if they're wanting your phone and you don't give it to them, they're just gonna be like, "Well, get the fuck out," you know. So to kind of avoid that, we just said, well, "You know what? We're not gonna take our phones in. We locked them in our car." And so when we got to um, the second checkpoint, it was basically to one, take our take your phones away because they don't want anybody. Audio recording anything, video recording anything, taking any photographs, or anything of that sort.
1: No tweeting spoilers. Yeah,
0: no spoilers. They don't want their shit getting ruined beforehand. Um, We'll get to that in a minute. Um, But, you know, as far as the check-in process went, you know, you had to turn your phones in, and then they have you go through a metal detector. Obviously, they're checking to make sure you're not smuggling, you know, bombs in your butt or something. I don't know. So they uh you know they checked everybody through the metal detector everybody turned in their phones and so then once everybody got through that process you know you had the opportunity to like use the restroom if you hadn't already because you know there's people that have been waiting there for an hour so give everybody that opportunity then they moved you into another room and so the room that they moved us into um was the screening room and so the screening room basically is not as impressive as it sounds Um, they basically took, like, a bunch of foldy chairs, placed them in a room where they actually do recording for, you know, another television show. Um, we actually walked through this hallway where they were storing most of the props for the prices, right?
1: Those are some cheap props.
0: Yeah, you know, on the show they don't look so shitty, but when you're actually walking through, you realize, wow, uh, they really make a nice show with some really
1: inexpensive shit. Like, one of the things was made out of foam, like... It had, like, these purple squares on this, like, purple backdrop. I don't know. But it was foam. Like, little foam pieces you can buy at Target. Yeah. Not impressive.
0: It, you know, it was it was just funny, like, just seeing all the props from Prices Right there. I was kind of like, hey, it'd be cool to go on the Prices Right. That'd be neat. Maybe we should try to get on that show. So, um, as we're walking through, we, we go past all these props, and then the set that we end up on, which is where they happen to, you know, have all the seats for the screening process, for the, for the screening, is on the set of Bold and the Beautiful. (laughs) So, we're in this partial set of uh, Bold and the Beautiful. Looks like they have, like, different rooms set up for, obviously, like, different parts of different houses for...
1: Somebody's kitchen.
0: For this soap opera, yeah. You know, the area that we could see was, like, a kitchen to, like, one of the...
1: But with some antler chandeliers hanging up in the rafters. That was interesting.
0: Yeah, there were like ten different like chandeliers that were hanging up, different ones some had some had antlers, some were fancier and you could tell like they you know offset like you couldn't see like, you know, there was a lot of stuff up in the rafters. It was like just extra stuff, extra props for like different rooms and like you know, just obviously just stuff for them to pull and, you know, make whatever they need to. So um, you know, again, we are on that set, and then, um, so the screening area is basically like just as you enter that Bold and the Beautiful set, and so there were a couple, of, there were a bunch of foldy chairs set up, you know, at least like 50 or 60 plus.
1: Butt hurting chairs is what they are. Yeah,
0: they were basically like, you know, less than $20 chairs, they had minimal cushion or whatever. No complaints, because ultimately we got to screen, um, the episode of Fear the Walking Dead earlier than anybody else, including the East Coast, and what was cool about that is that not only did we get to screen it early, but we got to see it without any commercial interruption, so it only ended up being like 42 minutes of watching the show, which was pretty great. Um, they actually uh, broadcast the show on like, it's probably about a 100-inch, um, like a... What is it, like the little white screens that you can get at like Best Buy, you know, where they like have the projector, like a, it was like, you know, like a projector screen, um, like I said, like a little hundred, hundred inch screen, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty cool, I mean, we got to screen this freaking show, so I'm not going to be like, oh, the seats were uncomfortable, um, you know, like the, the fucking screen wasn't big enough or whatever. Like ultimately, the
1: screen, the the seats hurt. I mean, yeah, we got to see the show. The seats hurt. That's my complaint. Seats hurt. Anyway,
0: (laughs) so we got to, you know, we got to see the show. Um, They'd handed out some papers and pens beforehand because um, they basically wanted audience questions on what they thought from like, you know, the show that they had watched, and you know, there was a chance that you know you'd get picked, and that you know you'd have the opportunity to possibly be able to ask your question on the show. Now. I was like, okay, you know, I have a really good question. And, you know, initially my question was, you know, is there going to be some type of romance between, like, Ophelia's character um, and Chris? Because in the last episode, they're talking on a boat. seemed like Ophelia is kind of trying to take Chris under her wing, sort of. Like, she's being really nice to him. You know, and he's kind of talking about girls and, like, how, you know, he might not have the opportunity, like... To date or like whatever you know do anything with girls because you know it's the end of the fucking world but you know she's like oh you know maybe you'll meet somebody and so my thought was is that maybe there was some sort of connection there with her and chris even though she's you know a lot older than him and um you know and then uh you know whether or not she thought that her character would you know have some sort of um relationship with him or whether was more of like a motherly role of just trying to protect him because he's like in a sensitive state. Like that was my question. Obviously it wasn't that long. My question was only two sentences, but I was just kind of elaborating on my question. So that was the question that I had written down initially. Um it just seemed to me like they kind of wanted us to draw something down, but then we saw the episode and so then my question was like, oh well, you know, maybe we should write down a question that pertains to this show specifically. Um you know, Amanda had an extra paper because she didn't really plan on asking a question. So I took I took her paper and I wrote down a second question. Um, and uh, you know, that question, you know, for the show was, uh, "Gosh dang it!" I'm like, I lost my train of thought. Do you remember what my question was? I initially wrote down.
1: It's about her dad. Oh yeah,
0: so my question my my question was, um, you know, and. Spoiler alert for those who haven't seen Fear the Walking Dead yet. Uh, you know, there's there's a scene where um, Daniel is like in the church fight scene and he kind of like blanks out. Um, he has a flashback where he sees a kid that's being held by the neck and, you know, you don't know what's going on there. But he kind of blinks out. He's got his hands around the neck of a boy who's turned into a walker. And this, this kid's like moments away from biting him And basically Ophelia steps in And kills the walker um, You know and you can kind of see that Like he blanked out like completely Which you don't expect from Daniel Because up to this point he's been really resourceful You know what his background is You know he's a very capable person But he like basically blanks And so then later on in the episode Like he kind of blanks out And he he's kind of lost his appetite And you know she makes a comment That like he seems like you know, he might be physically weaker than he is and, like, she doesn't know what's wrong with him. So, my question was, um, you know, what does Ophelia think is wrong with her father? And, you know, what does she think his state of mind is when he, like, drifts off into this thought? Um, and so, there there were people, you know, so the producers come out and they're like okay who has questions and so they're basically calling on people and I raised my hand right away because I wanted to make sure they heard my damn question so um, you know I asked my question and then he's like oh yeah that's a good one and I'm thinking like he probably just says that to everybody (laughs) because like you know why not so a couple people ask their questions and then um, he picks three people like kind of like from the middle and back row and I'm like fuck my question didn't get picked but then like right at the last minute, I was the last one. He's all you sir, you're you you too. And I'm like, uh, oh, seriously? So um when that happens, you get kind of plucked away from the rest of the main group. And they take you um to like a back room, like a little green room where they have you sign some like release, you know, in case you know, obviously they're gonna use your image on the show. You're giving them permission to do so, whatever, whatever. So, you know, we sign this little contract. And then, you know, they take your photograph And then they kind of, like, talk to you about your question And, um, you know, whether or not, like, the question should be tweaked So, here's where it gets a little weird, because, well, to me anyways So, we go to the back area, we've been separated from the rest of the group You know, they're kind of having to sign those paperwork And they're taking photos And, you know, they're like, okay, remind me what your question is again And so you repeat the question to them I mean they picked you because of the question that you asked. They thought your question was good. So I'm assuming like it was a small tweak. Maybe they wanted us to like narrow the scope, maybe expand a little bit on the question. No, no, no. As it turns out, they're like, "Okay, well, hey, buddy, your question is pretty much going to be addressed at this point in the segment. Would you rather ask this completely different from the original question?" And it's like, "Okay, sure." So then they ask me what my question is and I tell them them what my question is and I'm like, yeah, there's a good chance that they might talk about that or like they might riff into it, so do you maybe want to ask about this question or something related to this? And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll ask that. So anyways, once they talk to all four of the people that they had chosen, myself included, everybody has a completely different question from what was initially written down. Um, And, you know, I'm not I'm not saying like obviously the producers are like trying to fix what it is that people are asking. It was that they kind of anticipate they kind of anticipated that a lot of the questions that people were asking were going to be addressed at some point during the during during the show or there was a hundred percent likelihood of it being talked about prior to the question segment. So um I think the reason that they chose those people, myself included, to, um, to, like, you know, obviously to go to the back and, you know, be the possibles for, you know, for the, for the question segment, was that, like, they just had, you know, people, we just had better quality questions than everybody else, and, like, it indicated that, like, you know, you knew a little bit about the show, so, um... When they took you in the back and they were like, okay, are you comfortable asking this question? You know, and you're like, sure. Then they're kind of prepping you like, okay, you know, Chris Hardwick likes to kind of, you know, like riff on people that ask questions sometimes. He might turn your own question back on you. Like, what are you going to say? You know, and they want to know that if that happens, that you're able to, you know, answer your own question or that you have a deep knowledge to kind of riff off or whatever's being said, you know, without just kind of, like, drawing a blank, because they're like, the last thing we want is you guys drawing a blank, so, you know, that was, it was pretty interesting, um, you know, Amanda, she has a different experience, and we'll get into hers in a minute, but, you know, basically, she was pretty much alone for the rest of the show, because, um, once... They kind of decided, oh, you know, this person's going to be number one question, number two, number three, number four. They kind of ranked us in order. You know, they pretty much tell us, hey, look, we don't know who's going to go on. There's a possibility your question might not get talked about or your question may get talked about before you have the opportunity to answer it. So at the last minute, somebody who was supposed to go first might end up not going at all. And somebody who was ranked last that, you know, was probably not going to get a chance to go is going to all of a sudden be called up to the front. So, um, that was, that was pretty, uh, interesting because it kind of kept everybody on their toes and worrying about, like, you know, the the question and whether or not they're going to forget it or anything like that. Um, what was cool is that when they brought us in to the studio where the recording was happening, that because you're the question asker or, like, you're one of the people that's been pick to potentially ask a question that you got to sit in the very front row because obviously you got to be close to the microphone without any sort of hindrances so that was a plus um, uh, Amanda did you kind of want to talk about what happened after kind of like I got pulled from the side and you know like what you guys ended up doing
1: uh, we sat in a room for half an hour and did nothing <laughs>
0: that was about it
1: they said yeah there's some vending machines out there eat if you want can't take it with you have fun
0: wow that's uh pretty badass it's a big old long story there
1: not much to tell
0: huh well I mean was there anybody like that was talking about the people that got picked in their questions or like anybody who was annoying in the uh, room that you were sitting in or any kind, anything like that? Like anything that happened other than just like oh I didn't get to eat out of the vending machines.
1: Yeah the girl sitting in front of us didn't like your question. She thought it was answered during the episode so she didn't understand why you got picked. She says Daniel has PTSD and that's why he gets spaced out. Uh, the people that were sitting behind us were talking about some girl that was getting fat in her cheeks. But then apparently she still has her cancer, so that could be why. Uh, So rude, whoever you were, girls, that's rude. Um, Other than that, that was about it. I mean, people have really interesting conversations and they think other people aren't listening. And that's what I was doing because I didn't have anything else better to do with my time. I was listening to people's conversations.
0: And so the girl that she's talking about, it's funny because she was the first person like in line with this other guy. And so, um, you know, had we actually got to park and then, like, get in line when we'd actually shown up, we would have been standing right next to these people. Luckily, we weren't. We were 9 and 10, so we were, there was more than a couple of people between us and them, and that girl talked the entire time from, like, the moment we pulled into the lot and were turned away because we were too early, parking across the street, like, that girl never closed her mouth for more than two seconds, like... She talked and talked and talked and talked. Not even just to the person that was with her, which we found out later was, like, her husband or whatever.
1: <laughs> they aren't, though. Or... Okay, because they are both wearing rings. So, I'm like, okay, they're married, right? No, because when I was, eavesdropping dropping on their conversation some more. He was talking about a, about a store that was by his house. And then she was talking about some other place that was by her house. So, if they were married, they wouldn't be living in separate houses. Uh,
0: well, you know. Whatever the case may be, like, she was talking this dude's ear off, but she was also just talking to, like, anybody who would listen. And so, I remember being in the line, I was just kind of like, you know what, I'm so glad that I'm not standing next to this person. Because it's just, like, you know, there's a difference between, like, kind of carrying on, like, a decent conversation with somebody because, like, you want to talk to them. But it just almost seemed like there's those people that just talk to talk because they just can't stand the quiet Like, they're afraid of quiet. Like, they can't just be quiet. They can't, like, enjoy silence. Like, she seemed to be, like, one of those people. I mean, maybe she did have, like, just a legitimate interest in the show. And was, like, super excited and, like, wanted to talk about, you know, everything that was the show or whatever. And, I mean, those people, to a certain extent, like, you know, are fun to talk to. But not, like, when they're, like, know-it-alls. You know? uh, And think that everybody else is shit stupid or, like, they have the whole show figured out or... Whatever. So, anyways, I was just kind of glad because I probably would have been, like, sort of rude. Like, uh, don't talk to me. Stop talking to me.
1: Oh, But neither one of them seemed to understand the time difference between the West Coast and the East Coast. Huh. They spent a good amount of time trying to figure out why the taping was when it was. I was like, really, people, it's not that hard of a concept.
0: Right. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't think my question was really as- answered. mean obviously we know that you know daniel had like a shady background or whatever and then like you know he tortured people or whatever it didn't seem to me that like you know from the previous seasons that it had clearly indicated that he had any sort of ptsd like which is contrary to what this girl's saying and you know how she doesn't understand like why my question was picked i mean i think that it was a pretty relevant question to ask because you know is is one of the producers that said like some of the better questions to ask are questions that have to do with like mindset or the feelings of the characters and how people you know how the people can kind of like elaborate on what they feel like the character arc might be for their character or what their character may be thinking they said they kind of discouraged you from trying to ask like specific questions like have to do with like stuff in the storyline like, oh, is so and so gonna strike up a romance with whoever? Oh, what's gonna happen here? Obviously they're not gonna tell you any spoilers that have to do with like the future of you know future episodes or anything like that. So you gotta kinda ask questions that are specific to like, oh how was this made? or Oh how did you guys do this? Or you know, what do you think your character's thinking when this is happening? So I kinda try to stick to that. I mean obviously you know it it worked out because the producer basically says hey look these tend to be the more popular things to get picked you should stick to that i basically took dude's advice he's a fucking producer and went with his advice and tried to keep my question in that little you know space what what he recommended obviously it paid off because i got fucking chosen right you know i mean so um you know so you know kind of moving on from that point um once me and the other three people that got chosen, we got put in the front row, eventually, everybody else um, that was basically like left to that room, uh, you know, they all moved them in, and they tried to keep people as close as possible to the people that they came in with, if for whatever reason you were separated. As it turns out, Amanda got sat right behind me. I looked over my left shoulder, I looked over my right shoulder, I never fucking saw her. But I never turned completely around, so that's probably why I didn't see her. But I kept looking over my shoulder. I'm like, where the fuck is she? And as it turns out, she was right behind me the whole time. But, um, you know, so she was in the second row. Um, I was in the first row. And, um, you know, so they had – they kind of did some, like, pre-tapings of – you know, the, like the little 30-second segments of, like, you know, little commercial stuff that, like, Chris Hardwick does that, you know, has to do with the show. They did those. Boom, boom. Knocked some of those out. And then they finally got into, the, like, the meet of the show. And they come out and they introduce, you know, they introduce, you know, all the all the people that were, um, you know, guests. Which, uh, gosh, okay. There was Jim Gaffigan. There was Tamara. What's, uh, she goes by two last names. What is it? Tamara?
1: Maury Housley.
0: Yes. okay, so Tamara Maori housley and then, um, I can't think of her last name, Mercedes... Mason. Mercedes Mason, who plays, um, Ophelia, um, on Fear the Walking Dead. Um, those are the three guests. I mean, obviously, Chris Hardwick. Um, so, you know, they all come out. They're all super cool. You know, they, you know, we go through the, you know, we go through the recording, and... Like a had said earlier, you know, there's, like, another, like, you know, show manager there that's, like, um, you know, we've gone to other shows where they kind of have it, like, more set up, a little bit more cleanly, where they have, like, little signs that come up that say, like, applause or stop or whatever, you know, and you just kind of, like, follow whatever the signs say, but there's no signs out, so, like, the, um, the show manager would basically start kind of doing, like, an air clap, you know, to indicate, like, you know, that they wanted you to clap or not clap which is cool what I did like though is that they were like you know what you don't have to refrain from like not laughing or talking or you know being loud or boisterous or whatever like we want your fan reactions I mean obviously if somebody says something funny laugh you know we don't want like crickets in the audience you know that doesn't help that that doesn't help the show so um
1: well it's different though because this is only an audience of 50 and go to Conan it's like an audience of what like a hundred
0: or yeah it's like a hundred or, so. or so yeah Very it's different. a lot smaller um we'll call it intimate some more yeah. intimate recording well I mean 50 people like you really don't have a shit scene I mean it's being in the front row being in the front row I was less than like 10 feet from Chris Hardwick like that's how fucking small the set is it was like 10 feet tops from where Chris Hardwick is sitting, and then, you know, obviously from all the other guests. I mean, we we're so close that, you know, as the recordings are going on, you know, occasionally, um, you know, the guests would talk to us in the front row. Um, I guess they were aware that, like, we'd been chosen to ask the questions. So, like, you know, they would get bored talking to each other or something, or they just wanted to interact with the audience. So, Jim Gaffigan did the best he could between, like, every segment where, like, you know, we weren't supposed to be clapping, but trying to make fucking people laugh to kind of fuck with people. Um, But uh, he was really funny, and so, you know, we got to talk to, um, you know, Chris Hardwick and Tamara and Mercedes and Jim. That was pretty neat. Um, I mean, even though I didn't get, you know, chosen to go up and be on national television and ask my awesome, cool question... Not really disappointed because the experience was different from anything I'd done, and you know, obviously, like still getting to talk to all the guests, anyways, was a plus. And you know, like the producers had said, you know, hey, you know what, you know, thanks for coming. You know, we're glad you guys came out. You know, obviously, you know, the next time you guys come to a taping, you know, if you ask another decent question, you know, obviously you'll get chosen again, and maybe next time you'll be on. And and so the thing was is three of the people that were chosen, um, the other three people that were chosen had been to tapings before, of The Talking Dead, um, of, like, Talking Saul, or other shows in general, so, like, I was the only noob who had uh, been to CBS Studio and, you know, hadn't seen one of these tapings before, or, like, you know, how to do one of these tapings, so, um, you know, it was cool, um, I mean... We're not, like, completely new to it because, like I said, we've, we've seen, like, tapings from, like, when Conan had taken over the Late Show when Jay Leno left. We saw one there uh, at Universal Studios. Eventually, when Conan left and, um, you know, Conan started recording his shows on the TBS set, you know, we've been there before. I mean, most of the stuff we've done is revolved around Conan. But, uh, you know, now we got to see a recording of The Talking Dead. We got to screen the show a little early. That was really cool. Um, You know, in general, the experience was was cool enough. I mean, I know on my end, it was a little more fun than it was for Amanda, obviously, because Amanda had to, like, basically sit in that room and just listen to other people talk while, you know, the people mainly focused on the people that were chosen and, you know, like, prepping them for the show and what they're going to go through and all that kind of stuff. And so, like, the general audience was, like, sort of an afterthought even though they weren't really, but, you know, it, you know, it is what it is, you know, they're trying to run a show, there's all kinds of stuff that's going on behind the scenes, and, uh, it was really cool to see how they, you know, how they ran that set. Um, I'm happy that we got, had the opportunity, because now, when we try to get tickets again, there's a greater likelihood that we'll be able to, since we've already shown up, and, and, you know, participated, so, uh, Hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, it'll be easier for us to, you know, get into a show next time. Whether it's for Talking Dead with The Walking Dead, I don't think we're going to see another... We're not going to be able to get into another Talking Dead for Fear of the Walking Dead, I don't think, because... I mean, there's like, what, one more episode?
1: It's next week.
0: Yeah, so, uh, you know, I doubt we're going to get into that one, but... Who knows? Um, So... You know, there's that. Um, you know, did you have anything to add? You know, really, or anything that we kind of left out, or I mean, did we want to like go into like our thoughts on the show? You know, I mean, because you know, so from this point on, uh, well, I mean, we'll we'll pretty much just uh, end the show um, at this point. Um, We'll play the end credits And if you want to hear us talk about the show a little bit You can We'll probably only go for like 5 or 10 minutes We really don't want to spoil it for anybody In case you haven't seen it You still have it on your DVR Um So again It's episode 12 Um Jesse and Amanda here If you guys want to listen to us Uh You can download us on iTunes Um You're probably If you're listening to this You are probably already found us on SoundCloud At uh That Conversationalist Um we're listed as the conversationalist on uh, Facebook and, um, our Twitter is, um, at that con podcast. Um, so, um, I think that's it. So, um, if you have any questions, comments or anything like that, you can email us at that conversationalist at gmail.com. So thanks for listening. Stick around to the end credit, uh, to the end scene if you want to hear us talk about the show um thanks for listening goodbye already so if you stuck around long enough to hear us talk about the show um i guess we'll just kind of like get right into it um i mean do you want to kind of start off um on, like, the beginning portion of the show or anything like that?
1: Um, so the beginning part of the show, they're in, uh, Mexico. It's in a church, and you see this, um, this preacher is giving a speech, basically saying that what's out there is trying to, to stop people from having faith, and they're not going to allow it. And at the same time you're seeing them all take their communion and you think boy I wonder why they're really focusing on that and then you find out because they're getting ready to they're like grabbing into this stockpile of guns and all of a sudden you see all these ladies like going like ah and then they have all this blood coming out of their eyes and then it's like ah they're they're dying kind of that was interesting
0: yeah I mean basically what ends up happening is I almost thought that it was kind of a cutscene from like something that happened like way earlier it just kind of seemed like you know like really old like you know this was like some sort of flashback or whatever and so I'm wondering like what it has to do with the overall storyline but then after they take the communion and they go outside and they're arming up um you know Tom who's one of the central characters that is you know obviously in you know appears to be some sort of relationship with Strand um comes out and is basically telling the, um, you know, like the preacher, or the minister, that, hey, look, you know, you don't have to do this, you know, you guys are, you know, you guys are taking lives, and then all of a sudden, people start screaming, and, you know, people are bleeding out of their eyes, bleeding out of their noses and stuff, and, you know, it's pretty, you know, you, you realize pretty quickly that all these people are dying at the same time, including the preacher at this point, and, um, you know, you realize, oh shit, you know, these people were fucking poisoned. And it had to have been the communion, because that's the one common denominator. You know, everybody consumed this stuff. And, you know, the minister basically says that, you know, you know, it was it was, it was her that did this, you know. And later on you find out that her is a lady named Celia, who um, is the one that, like, has this, you know, vineyard in a large you know, behind a large cinder block wall with, like, security gates and stuff like that. And this is, it it seems as though this is Tom's mother or he refers to her as mom. You know, I don't quite know what the relationship is and whether or not, like, he just calls her mom because she's acted like a mom or whether she's actually his mother. Um, But anyways, you know, everybody on the boat uh, finally makes it to land. There, there was a little snafu With them like getting through With the uh, Mexican police Who were on the little flotilla <coughs> um, Charging You know people for passage Um Is it What's his name Luis? Luis
1: yeah.
0: Ends up getting killed Um Luis ends up getting killed as well as the two border guards Um they both get killed And uh So, the Luis guy, he ends up giving a coin to Daniel and basically says, you know, give this to my mom. And it's a coin that has like an owl on it. And what was weird to me is that Daniel takes a look at this coin and he seems to know like immediately like what it is or like what the hidden meaning behind it is. It almost seemed like he'd seen it before.
1: Right.
0: And basically... Doesn't fulfill uh, Luis's wishes and throws this coin into the ocean, and uh, so Luis ends up dying. Now they end up making it to they end up making it to land, and they make it to this church. They make it to this church where all of this stuff had just happened earlier with Tom pulling up in a truck and talking to the minister, and then all these people die. Well, as they're there, Strand is pretty distraught because he immediately recognizes the truck, realizes that. This is Tom's truck, but Tom's nowhere in sight. And while Strand is inside the church, and everybody else is outside, all of a sudden there is a shitload of walkers descending on the building, and you quickly realize that all of these walkers are, in fact, the people that had died earlier. All of the churchgoers, the ones that were poisoned, and among them are small children, um, you know, the, the the preacher himself, altar boys, you know, old and young, you know, villagers, and so. Um, there were still a stockpile of weapons that were kind of left on the ground from, you know, people that didn't get to pick these things up before they got poisoned. So there's, like, bats and machetes and some other stuff that are down there. And, uh, you know, they have to fight their way through all of these um, all of these walkers. Um, they end up killing most of them. Some of it's pretty graphic and, I mean, they don't, like, actually, like, show... You know, like any of these little kids getting their heads smashed in, or anything like that. But you know, the way the scene is shot, you know, you know that some of these, you know, some of the characters are having to kill like these these children walkers. You know, and it's you know, it's a it's a pretty bad deal. Um, that's part of um, where there's uh, that scene where Daniel kind of blanks out. He's holding one of these altar boys by the neck looks like he's maybe like you know 10 or 12 years old and uh you know kind of blanks out where Ophelia has to come in and you know finish this kid because it looks like Daniel's pretty much gonna let this fucking kid bite him um you know during this sequence Madison also gets knocked over by um one of the walkers and she's basically got one of these walkers on top of her and it looks like there's a fucking good chance that she's gonna get bit well um Chris, as we all know, like his character arc is kind of getting like hella emo and he almost seems like he's getting like really mentally unstable and like he's kind of starting to have a little bit of a bloodlust. You know, basically what happens with him is Chris sees that Madison's in distress, that there's this walker on top of her. He's fully able to do something, anything to, uh, you know, try to get this walker off of Madison, or to kill it, but basically just stands there. And, um, what is it, Alicia? Is that her name? Yeah. Alicia notices this, and, um, you know, Alicia yells at him, but he basically still does nothing, and Alicia has to come to Madison's aid. (coughs) Her mother's aid. And, um, you know, kill this walker. So, You know later on you know they get in the truck they go back to this vineyard they realize oh shit you know this is actually legit like this place is really nice there's people tending to the fields you know it looks like they have like a good amount of food um you know the the grounds are large there's people that are clean there's you know workers that are there there's food you know it just seems like you know everything's kind of looking good you know, obviously they're not a target being on the water on that big yacht. Um, so there's that. You know, they're basically welcome with open arms because the lady Cecilia knows who Strand is. You know, I think she basically knows that the Strand, you know, was in a relationship with Tom. Strand goes to see Tom, realizes that Tom has actually been bit. And so, um, you know, you kind of get to see the emotional side of Strand. And, um, you know, you actually do see that, no, it wasn't in your imagination. There was kind of a homosexual vibe between them. They weren't just buddies. You know, it's, it's apparent at this point that, you know, they were lovers. Strand is pretty distraught that, you know, he knows that Tom's demise is imminent. And so, you know, he's basically like, tending to him, like laying next to him, um, you know, basically trying to make Tom's transition to death like as smooth as possible. And you know, at this point, you really get to see that uh, you know there is a non-robotic side to uh, Strand. Because up to this point, you know, Strand is pretty much just like a straight shooter, no emotion. You know, is willing to cut people. that are getting pulled on a raft and willing to let them die, you know, nobody else is my problem, you know, kind of guy that's just super cutthroat and then you realize that, hey, look, he does have a soft side, this is somebody that he loved and cared about, and you know, so uh, you know, that's, that's an interesting uh, you know, little segment there, you find out that Celia um, is not so concerned about death and, you know, her justification is, is that, you know, dead people have always kind of been around us, you know, maybe even spiritually, and that there's really no difference between the dead walking among us. It's just a different form of them being around us. Um, you know, it's almost kind of concerning, like, with how calm she is about the whole thing. You find out that, uh, you know, in a way, she kind of feels like, you know, these people aren't really dead. That they're, it's just the life after her. And, uh, you know, there's a scene where Strand is considering basically taking his own life to be with Tom in the afterlife. Um, Celia's perfectly okay with this. Um, didn't really like Strand at all, but when she realizes that he's willing to do this, um, you know, she basically accepts Strand and says, that, you know, maybe I was wrong about you. Maybe you were good enough for my son. Um... You know, and so she basically gives him some of those poison crackers that all the rest of the parishioners of the church had taken to die. And so she leaves those on the table for Strand to take because she's expecting that he's going to take his life when Tom dies. Or when Tom, like, basically transitions or whatever. Um, you know, Celia, prior to this, kind of seems sort of disarming. You know, she seems like a really nice old lady, very personable, you know, And like it was talked about in The Talking Dead, you know, it's almost one of those things where you want to be like, whoa, she kind of accepted everybody with open arms. No problem. Hey, there's not too many people. Hey, we don't have enough food. (laughs) She's just kind of like, oh, yeah, sure. Come on in. You know, it's almost like, you know, this is too good to be true. Maybe there's something wrong here. But nobody really asks themselves that question. I think at that point, they're just kind of happy they have somewhere to be. Right. And so they don't ask it. So anyways, Daniel... Um, you know, they basically have to turn in all their weapons, and Daniel's kind of the one that provides, like, hey, look, you know, there's always a need for weapons. Like, I don't want to give up my weapons. They tell him, yeah, sure, you can keep them, but you got to go back outside the walls. Reluctantly, he gives up his weapons. But, you know, Daniel, being the inquisitive person that he is, you know, snooping around and finds, like, a little boy talking to somebody, like, in another room that's, like, on a secure portion of the grounds. Well, he basically sees this kid, like drop a fucking living dog down like some sort of chute that goes like down below like it's weird like a little hut house it's kind of like built into the ground and you basically hear this dog get torn apart (coughs) like screaming in agony and stuff and then this kid's basically talking to somebody who doesn't, it sounds like he's basically talking to himself well Daniel sees this and basically asks that kid who he's talking to and the kid lets him in and he finds out that this lady Cecilia is basically storing all of these walkers in this like cage area and you know so when she gets confronted with it you know she's basically like yeah these are friends and family members and all this kind of stuff you know and they have a place here and so like you know this is that's their afterlife or whatever she basically sees that as no big deal like you know that's there's nothing wrong with it and so when she's praying for her son puts a little you know thing up on this little mantle um Daniel basically apologizes for the fact that like, um, Luis was killed, and he he apologizes and says, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. And she goes, oh, you know, don't be sorry. You know, did you shoot him in the head? And he's like, no. And she's like, okay, well, there's nothing to be sorry about then, because in her mind, even though like he's transitioned into a walker, like he's not dead, not unless you kill him as a walker right so you kind of get the sense that like you know she's probably a little mentally disturbed too or like it was pointed out is that maybe she's coming at it from like a spiritual standpoint of like okay she just believes that this is just like the afterlife or this is how it is now and that's how you know because the comparison that I was making and this is when I was backstage talking to some of the producers like we were actually kind of talking about the show I thought that it seemed like Celia was a direct contrast to how Herschel was when Herschel was basically like capturing people from the town and, the, and family and basically like locking them in that barn. He, he, thought it, he thought of it from a scientific standpoint as like, oh, what if they're just sick? What if they can be cured? And then you have Celia basically like, okay from a spiritual standpoint it's like oh this is just the afterlife this is how it is they're not dead so you know is she like Herschel or is she like the governor is she just a fucking nut you know cause you have the governor like you know keeping heads and putting them in you know fucking fish tanks and stuff like that I mean obviously there's no indication that she's like that far gone but like her mindset seems to be a little skewed and you have to ask yourself is it innocent like herschel and just like just doesn't get it or does she get it and she's just kind of losing it what do you think
1: she has to get it because she wouldn't keep him locked up if
0: I mean maybe she knows that they are dangerous I mean obviously or you know why? what would be the purpose of locking them up but you know on I mean she's not killing them either so I mean Herschel did the same thing you know but we just find out that like he had just good intentions like okay, Herschel maybe-
1: didn't have the heart to kill him though I think she's evil enough that she could She's,
0: but her reasoning is that she doesn't want to kill them because she feels like she would really be killing them. Because no, she doesn't I think believe that. There's
1: something dead. else around her. Yeah. Yes
0: well, well we'll see what it is. Um, you know, so this kind of happens right toward the end. You find out they're basically they're basically sitting on a fucking landmine of dead people. Um, like right at the end. Um, you know, it's. We're like right toward the end um, Ophelia is basically taking a long walk you know she's basically she's praying to her mom but she goes on a walk with Nick now she's kind of identified with Nick a little bit and you know initially my original question that I wanted to ask was whether or not there might be something between her and Chris but then you see her basically on a long walk with Nick and it seemed like there might be some sort of connection there so now the question is, is she may be interested in Nick or is Nick interested in her I think there's a more likelihood of her developing some sort of relationship with Nick but I can totally see some sort of love triangle because like what show doesn't love a good love triangle right
1: they seem to get rid of Chris
0: <laughs> yeah Chris
1: time frame Day. take communion
0: well I remember like you know from The Walking Dead I remember how much I disliked Carl they're like, oh my god, just fucking kill Carl. Carl's become a better character, less annoying and stuff, like, more self-sufficient. And Yeah, so, Carl's
1: not trying to kill his family either.
0: Yeah, it's true. But yeah, I think Chris, so far, has just been, like, a really annoying character. What's funny is, like, when they took some of the people that were asking questions, um, you know, backstage, and they were kind of asking, like, who's the character you hate the most? The girls said Chris. The two girls that were chosen, they both said Chris. Me and the other guy Said Madison My reasoning for not Disliking Madison Is that like Madison was always Kind of an abrasive Character in my mind Or she was always Just kind of like Over coddling Like Other characters And She kind of just Like rubbed people The wrong way Constantly And then even now She's kind of like Always like butting heads In a way With People And like You know so when they First get into the vineyard Um Celia gives some pasole to Nick and, you know, she basically they're basically having a little moment talking and then Madison comes out of nowhere and is basically like you know, kind of saying some shit that's contrary to what Celia said and basically like saying that like Celia's wrong about whatever she said and then um, you know, Celia basically makes a few compliments about Nick, but Madison's kind of on a defensive where it was almost kind of like a bitchiness about her and so you're like really like what's she gonna do to fuck this up because it always seemed like she's always on the verge of like screwing something up like even when they stopped on that island and kind of got in the middle of everything with that family and then like the boat situation with like butting heads with Strand it always seems like she's always just like one step away from like blowing everything up and like screwing everything up and so I've just always kind of disliked her as a character Um, I mean, I think it was mentioned in the show that you know, she has Madison's uh, I don't know the. I can't think of the the actress's name that plays Madison but she said that basically there was some interest where she wanted to basically be the the Rick of the Fear the Walking Dead group and I totally don't see that I mean, if anything, I think it would be like Carlos or not Carlos, but Daniel I think it'd be Daniel. So, um... But that's just me. Um... So... You know, kind of... Kind of took a little... segue off topic with, you know, the whole Nick, uh... Ophelia speculation. So, right toward the end... Um... Strand basically decides that he's not going to take his own life. He's not going to... He's not going to take the wafer. Basically puts a pillow on Tom's head after Tom's taking his final breaths. And you hear a gunshot. Well, Strand... Shot Tom. He didn't want him to transition into one of those fucking walkers. So Celia finds this out, loses her fucking mind. Is like, oh, Uh,
1: you're getting into the preview that they gave. Well, because the show ended, and all you saw is that he shot him, and that's all it went into.
0: Right. So you know, but you know, in the preview, they're basically showing that. You know Celia's basically lost her mind That she's pissed off That Strand shot Tom in the head And so now there's a question of like Oh what's going to happen You know It's basically giving them a day To get off the grounds And you know basically Celia's reaction is like Oh you know You killed Tom It's like motherfucker's already dead All I do is put a bull in his head So he didn't turn into a fucking walker so now they find themselves in an awkward position because they're somewhere where they feel pretty safe right now but now all of a sudden they're being told they have to leave so what do they do they gave up all their weapons celia's given them 24 hours to basically get off the fucking land who else is on the property are they going to be able to overwhelm them are they going to leave and go back on the boat like there's a lot of things that could possibly happen you know and we didn't even address the kind of weird situation that happened with Chris where, um, is, is it Alicia? I keep, yes, so Alicia basically says, You know, I know what you did to Chris, and Chris is basically like, Oh, you don't know what you saw, you think you know what you saw, but you don't, and so she's basically indicating that she's probably gonna tell. Chris basically is like, Oh, we well, better not tell because I don't want to have to hurt anybody, and you know, in his is way, threatening her, and so. Um, you know, later on, like right before all this, you know, some of this other shit happens, you know, you find Chris, you know, basically looking at them sleep, you know, through a doorway and then, you know, retrieving a knife that was by the side of the bed. And when Madison and Alicia wake up, there's Chris holding the knife, just staring at them like a fucking freak. And, you know, he gets out of the room and leaves, but, you know, his dad is basically like oh no my son wouldn't do that you know Madison you need to be there for me because my son's got problems and we need to try to get him to work through them you know because I was there for you and Nick when Nick was having all of his issues the difference is that Nick was a fucking drug addict and this kid's possibly a fucking psychopathic killer you know that like obviously has a bloodlust now because he's killed a couple of people Living people. Like, remember he fucking bludgeoned that dude to death in the fucking airplane or whatever? And then he, uh, shot that dude in the boat. Right. Hey. And so he hasn't killed any... Like, he's killed a couple of walkers when they were on that island. You know, but he's killed people and he's killed walkers. So, I mean, I think really he might like killing. So, you know, it's, it's, a uh, There's a whole lot of different shit going on in a bunch of different directions This show... The show really wrapped itself up you know from where it had been going so I mean I totally see this next show being like pretty damn crazy um you know there's gonna be two surprise guests on the next um taping of the talking dead so you know what usually happens on the talking dead people that go on the talking dead typically are people that fucking die obviously that's not quite the except. you know it's not quite uh, the situation with Mercedes because her character wasn't dead but you know, at the at the end of like you know, like a season finale or mid-season finale, and there's two surprise guests, there's a good chance that these fucking guests are probably people that are gonna die. Just saying. So, um, pretty exciting show was really good. I enjoyed it. Amanda, I mean, what would you give it one to ten? I don't know. So I give it a care. seven and a half because my i hurt in those chairs. <laughs> so, anyways, real good experience You know, hope you enjoyed our review I mean, it was a good show Obviously, watch it
1: This is more than five minutes
0: Yeah, oops, my bad I kind of went through all the fucking minutia of the show Sorry, I like to talk We know So, um, again, thanks for listening um, You already heard all our contact info from the previous thing So... We'll just say thank you and good night. Bye. Bye.